Welcome to Make Things That Matter, the podcast where we explore impactful products and the cultures that create them. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and if I'm doing my job well, each episode of this show will help you to do meaningful work, make things that make things better, and have a great experience doing it. Hey, it's Andrew, and I want to ask you for a really quick favor before we get going here. I'd love it if you could help me out by filling out a very short listener survey form that I'm running right now. You might have noticed the show has been on pause for a few months as I've been really deep in the process of imagining new directions for the show and how it fits into everything that I'm doing. I'm now getting ready to bring the show out of dry dock, and so you'll start to see some changes. None yet, but they are coming. And as I do, I would really, really benefit and would love your input into that process. It actually makes a real impact on where the show goes and the decisions that I'm making. So if you can take a minute, click the survey link in your show notes right now on your podcast player. It would really, really be a big contribution to me and to the evolution of this show. The survey closes on August 16th, so if you're hearing this before then, it would be so helpful if you could go and fill that out right now. Okay, let's get on with the episode. My guest in this conversation is MJ Jastrzewski. She's the CPO of Stylytics. Stylytics is a rapidly scaling retail tech company that helps retailer websites automate the styling and bundling for their consumers. In this conversation, we talk about how to stay buoyant through the ups and the downs as you steward an organization and what it even means to be a steward for an organization. We talk about how your role as a product person changes as you climb the career ladder, and especially we talk about how your mindset needs to evolve as you scale, and particularly when you join the company executive team. And finally, we spend a bunch of time talking about how strategy and focus needs to evolve as the company moves from early days of finding product market fit into scaling up and hyper growth and moving into being a more mature, scaled up company. All right, without any further ado, please enjoy this lovely conversation with MJ. MJ. Officially, welcome to the party. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So we were we were chatting about a lot of different things before we hit record on this one, and we, we it was funny. We started having this whole conversation about like, well, what what weird icebreakers should we do in this conversation? And there's an excellent one that you came up with. We're going to come back to at the end of this conversation. So that's going to be the tease to you, dear listener. But I think what would be fun to start with is your path into product, right? I don't know about you, but it seems like everybody I know in product, there is, there's almost no such thing as like the standard story. And so one of my favorite questions Mm -hmm. to ask product people is what did you actually want to be when you grew up? I love that question. Um, I, I really had no stinking idea. I was thinking about being a chef at one point. Um, I was, I went to Emory in Atlanta for undergrad and I was a math and econ double major. I like super geeked out on math. I love math and um, just came really naturally to me. <laughs> but I was like, I don't, I don't know what I do with this. Like, what is this as a job? And I really like cooking. And so I had, I had a hot minute there where I thought I was <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I really had no idea. I'm like, oh, I don't want to teach. I'm like, where else would I use math? And my dad kept telling me, well, go into banking. And I'm like, oh, like I had a nose ring and a dog collar. Like I don't fit in banking. <laughs> like nobody wants me there. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was super cool. Um, but I, so yeah, so for a hot minute, I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to quit school. I'm going to go to New York and I'm gonna be a chef. And like, that didn't really last very long. So I stuck it out with mathematics and economics. And, you know, when I came out of school with that, I, I really did look at banking a lot. <laughs> I tried to look at investment banks. I was looking at being a trader and I just, the culture for me really didn't work. So I ended up, you know, it was the, the beginning of the you know 2000s and there was this big boom. I'm like, what's this tech thing? This tech thing seems really super cool. Um, 
and that that really started me on my path. Maybe not so much product, but very much in this space of technology, where especially at that time it was a whole crew of you know crazy, maybe one might say misfits. Um, and I like that culture. Like I like the idea of just like, mm-hmm. hey, we could be who we are, and we're going to go solve these challenges. And uh, technology at the time was super fascinating. Still is, still fantastic, but very super fascinating. Um, you know, being at the cusp of the growth of this industry where it is now. Being a big math geek and also being into technology, have you uh, gone down the rabbit hole of Carlotta Perez's work? No, I haven't. Okay. Am I just completely missing this person? No, 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 no. This is like a super, that's a super, okay. super niche reference. And I, I can't decide if I should either um, congratulate you for having a life or apologize for probably destroying your next two weekends because you're probably <laughs> being a math and econ geek about to go hard down a rabbit hole here. So Carlotta Perez is an uh-huh. economist who wrote a book that I'm okay. blanking the name of, but it's something like Technological Revolutions in Financial Capital. And she studies the long-term okay. cycles of how finance and capital flow into to technological revolutions and how there's sort of these like subsequent waves of development and deployment of technology into societies and mm-hmm. mapping those mm-hmm. against the financial outcomes in the economy. Um, and so I don't know when you said all that, I was like, okay, this, this is either like the best gift I'm ever going to give you or I've destroyed a weekend and I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I think it actually speaks more to your life and how much life you have. Professional nerd, So that's okay. <laughs> No, you probably just destroyed my next two weekends, but I love it. I love it. I'd much rather do that than watch Succession, which just makes me sad. So. You know what? I've been watching The Crown re- recently, and every time I watch more than one episode of that back-to-back, I just feel emotionally wounded. So I, yeah. I think this is probably a better use of time. I just walk away from those shows going like, I feel worse about everything. So this yeah, is a much better about everything, time. everybody. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm such a geek, terrible. though. I'm a consummate. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a consummate geek. Like, I just, all I want to do is learn. Like, I just kind of want to dork out on, like, I'll watch nature videos all day long because that is infinitely more fascinating to me than manufactured artificial scenarios that make me feel sad about my life or my people, you know, all the people around me. Totally, totally. Yes, I think I think this is one of the areas where you and I really connected was like we're basically both just obsessed with learning stuff and therefore, you know, yeah. interesting conversations always abound. So now that we've both yes. fully revealed our geekery, um, let's let's talk a little <laughs> bit more about this weird thing called product. I think there's a lot more room to I think there's a lot more room to fully reveal. <laughs> well, we have this whole we have, we have this whole episode, time. MJ. We have a whole we have all we have so much time. Like don't we don't have to rush it. <laughs> you let it breathe a little bit. Um, so, <laughs> so one of the things that I, I, I think we're, we're going to spend a fair amount of time in this conversation, probably revealing our mutual geekery is talking about mm-hmm. how product and product companies change throughout their life cycle, particularly in the growth stage where you're operating now. So I think a great place to start would be if you could start to talk about how you see the progression of one's role in product, you know, starting at where everybody starts as a PM, but then how does that change as you go to being a senior PM, a director, a VP, a CPO, and let's just kind of see where that takes us. Yeah. 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 I can, I can jam out on that plenty. Um, I, I think a way to think about it you can use titles as proxies. So, you know, PM, director, et cetera. And we should get to that. We should talk about that. But I do think that there's a little bit more about what is the nature of the work and how do you move through that? And then the the titles kind of, they come depending on the company, depending mm, on the yeah. size of the company, the size of the organization. You can be a director at a very large organization, have a huge amount of impact, and you can be a VP at a much smaller organization and be much more limited. So, um, 
you know, so just putting that aside for a hot second, I do think it's this idea for me, like, like product out of the gate, like everybody listening to this, hopefully are just as much product geeks as we are. But, you know, product is very much this, this function in my mind that, that operates deeply in strategy, deeply in execution and deeply in both at all times. Right. And we can talk about the three lenses and talk about, you know, user experience and, um, you know, user, user desirability, business feasibility, I'm sorry, business, um, viability and, uh, solution feasibility. Right. So hopefully, you know, if you haven't looked that up, go look up three lenses of innovation. It's fantastic. Uh, in, in that world, though, it's like we're always operating and going through kind of all these switching of those three areas and making sure that we have a strong answer on them. And early in your product career, you're learning how to assess each one of those areas. You might not have ownership of each one of those areas, but what you're trying to do is discover and figure out how much do we know in each one of those areas? How do we assemble that in terms of understanding what the pain point is that we're solving for? And then how do we come up with an opinion and perspective on how we move through it? Do we go build something? How much do we go build? And what's the ROI on the other side of it? And so I do think so much of what you do early on, and even even later, I'm always learning. I always have an opportunity to do better. But it's, it's very much understanding like how much is signal? How much is known? What do you need to ask? You know? To, to form an opinion. And then that opinion is your perspective that you then go advocate for. Product is a, is a role of influence. It's not a role of ownership. And so you have to be influencing at all times. Who are you influencing into what? Um, how do you build that credibility to then go do that influence? And if you show up and say, hey, go do this thing, folks are smart. They're going to push back at you and say, hey, why? And if you don't have the answer, if you don't have the why, then you're not going to be able to to, to get things done. You're not going to be able to move things forward. So when I think about early in your career, oftentimes you are very much more an order taker. Um, you oftentimes have more senior people above you saying, hey, this is the thing that we're going to go do. So go figure out this one feature. Is the button green or yellow? Go run some tests, etc. But ultimately what you're trying to do is just start take on take on more ownership of those bigger questions. And then push mm-hmm. yourself to figure out like, well, do we even need a button here? Or do we even need this functionality? Is this functionality serving folks? And I think a lot about, or, you know, I say folks, but users, I think a lot about if we as product people can orient hard on the problem and articulating the problem uh, and then flow through kind of all the rest of it, I think that that sets us up well for success. So kind of as you grow in your career, you're going from order taker to order maker because you have a better understanding of the problem and problem set of really what are we trying to accomplish and always orienting to the user you know, business outcomes. It's not just like we got to generate new sales, but it's like, well, we've got to go solve a problem. If we solve a problem, then sales will be there. Ideally, perfect world. Um, so going from order taker to order maker, understanding the problem, and then ultimately it's getting ahead of that into vision setter, right? And and thinking more broadly out of imagine a world where if, you know, imagine a world where we could go solve this thing. Imagine, you know, there, there's an emerging general market level pain point that that seems to be something that we need to go tackle. How might mm-hmm. we do that at a much bigger level? And then that's where you really start to influence organizational level change and organizational level features and product capabilities, et cetera. It's not easy. It's not easy. And it's not always straightforward, mm-hmm. I think, when you go through those those motions where you deploy what. You know, I, I know where I messed up a little bit in my career, where I needed to be much more opinionated about the vision and I was ready 
to take orders. And I didn't realize that people were waiting for me to have a stronger opinion about where we should go and what we should be doing. And I missed some opportunities. And then vice versa. You know, I was younger. I used to work at Orbitz a long time ago. It was fantastic. It was a great company to work for. And I had this strong opinion that we needed open APIs. Like open APIs are going to solve everything. If Expedia has them, we should do it. And I realize now behind my back, you know, the CTO was like super, he was so fantastic. He just... I can imagine him like figuratively patting me on my head and being like, oh, MJ, you're so cute. (laughs) We're not going to go do that. (laughs) So I was like completely missed like the the level of like where the vision should be setting. And they're like, yeah, 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 that's cute. Please just go back and deliver this one feature. Um, So it's always, it's always, you're always kind of feeling it out. Like throughout your career, you're, you're learning how to flex through like what is the right level to enter the conversation on. And then, you know, as you get more experience, you, you're more comfortable at switching amongst all of those. Hmm. What's the new important thing at each level as you move up? Like when you go to a senior PM from a PM, what's the new really important thing? And then same question when you go to director, VP, CPO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my rubric. I'm sure it, it, it's different in lots of places, but it, it's a pretty good rule of thumb that I have, or it's, at least it's worked for me. So Great. when I think about PM and SPM, um, I think about you're you're delivering a feature, right? It's not an epic, a capability, et cetera. Like again, the the sizing depends on where you work at. But like, here's a problem, a user pain point. Uh, how do we go solve for it? And so, how do we make sure that we really articulate what the the specific pain point is, and the, and, and the scope of these things? Probably, if you're a PM or SPM, is probably about a three month set of work. Like you're not really working on six or eight or twelve or ten. You know, long-term vision things. It's really within a quarter. Are you delivering something? And you should be able mm-hmm. to start to finish deliver that thing. And what I mean by deliver is who's the user? What's the pain point? What's the context? How? Uh, what are they facing? What are their alternatives? Um, if we solve it, what does success look like? What are success metrics? How might it impact the business you're operating in? And then um, what's the solution look like? So, you know, what is your tech stack and how do you think about all the parts of the tech stack? And also, how do you take it to market? And so in this world, like product management really isn't a product marketing function, but then how do we influence product marketing in that regard? So roughly like PM, SPM should pretty confidently be able to deliver a quarter's worth of product work, um, soup to nuts. When I think about director, director's influence, directors should open up into two things, two areas. It's people management. Um, and so all the, all the, all the strengths or the, uh, the, the pros and cons that come with people management, people management is really hard. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, at a director level, you should either, you should be performing or able to manage at least a, hand, you know, a handful of people. I also think that you start to influence process. And so the process of product, I think, is really, really important, especially when you're working in multi-stack functionality or where you have multiple product lines, et cetera. How are you working with, um, you know, if you have some sort of initiative within your area, but it requires, you know, some other dev team or something else to go, um, you know, deliver a key part of the functionality? How do you Mm -hmm. make sure that you think through how that works and how like relative priority works? So... Director level, definitely you should get to some level of mastery of people management. You should be some level of mastery of process management. So that's really where, to me, the process of product starts to really click in uh, in terms of ownership. From there, VP, 
Um, VP level is where you start to influence strategy and business outcomes and probably marketing outcomes a little bit more as well. Mm -hmm. So you're Mm -hmm. looking farther out in terms of timelines, like director level, you're also like farther out in terms of strategy. It should be anywhere from like, let's say six, rolling six to nine months, probably into a year perspective. You should be pretty comfortable in that. Um, And then at the VP level, like I said, you're influencing business metrics and marketing metrics um, and really having a stronger story that is more probably outwardly facing, market facing. And so you're actually helping drive true outcome for the for the business. Mm-hmm. And you're probably working very cross-functionally in some of these other teams. So a sales team, a marketing team, an account team, a client management team, etc. Um, and then you probably are managing multiple product lines, multiple product teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and your your roadmaps are you should have anywhere from like one to two years out um, in terms of perspective and like where you're influencing the market. And it could go mm-hmm. farther than that. Like, you know, all of us should have like a little bit of push there. But um, and then when I think about CPO and the level of CPO, it's this is where, you know, my accountability is just as much to our sales team as it and our marketing team and our client team as it is to our product team. Like mm, I have yeah. to very intimately understand as CPO at Stylytics, like I have to very intimately understand like what is our I might not know all the details of our sales pipeline, but like who are we going after and why? And like what is our business model and what is our revenue model and what are the blockers and like why is our sales team not able to close or not able to close? Like, why are people saying yes or no? Like our growth team, like how am I equipping our growth team uh, to be successful? And oh, by the way, it's not just like, hey, let me go tell growth team that we've got this new product feature. It's how do I think about the whole process of product marketing, go to market? You know, we're, we're in a B2B to C space. And so at any mm. given time, I'm thinking about 100, 200 different retailers as clients of our products. <laughs> and our products are on their websites that go to millions upon millions of shoppers. So mm-hmm. I've got to keep all of those things in mind when I think about how do I weave through a multi-year strategy to make sure that we have for any given product category, what is the revenue attribution that I could I estimate against each of these categories? And how do I think about like a, like a three-year life cycle in terms of growth beyond that? So that to me is where you know, I'm, I'm now really very, very accountable to the business. And I'm also thinking about how do I build a team that <laughs> takes care of the process, you know, the mm-hmm. day-to-day process and the sprint process, the agile process, and just making sure that I have a, a strong team around me that can also do the delivery, um, mm-hmm. you know, on top of the, the strategy and vision that I'm working on. Thank you for explaining that. One of the things that I'd love to hear you unpack a little more is this shift that you alluded to when moving to like, let's just call it the executive level of the company, right? Where in, in that framing, it was sort of going from VP to CPO. And one way I've heard that put is like, you know, who your first team is changes. Uh, so I'd love to hear you talk a little yeah. bit more about that and, and how do you do it? What's hard about it? Like, where do people, where do people get tripped up in that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard that too. Like I've done a bunch of leadership training across a handful of the exec teams that I've been on. And there is very much like your first accountability on the exec team is supposed to be amongst, you know, the execs, right? It's not to your team that reports up to you. It's, you know, to your peer set. And, you know, as humans, I think we flip and flop. (laughs) Some days I feel really connected to my product team. And some days like, 
you know, my CTO, my, my CMO are the people that I talk to most and, you know, feel most connected to. But I, I think that's right. That feels right to me. And I don't want to undervalue at all the relationship that I have with my product team. My product team is fantastic. And I, I really get so much value out of working with them and having them challenge me. I tell them all the time, like, tell me where I'm wrong because I'm wrong plenty, plenty of the time. Like, tell me what my blind mm-hmm. spots are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're great at telling me, which is good. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I think ultimately my success is not measured in quarters, but it's probably six months to a year. And, you know, I'm, I'm new to Sialytics. I started about six months ago. And I keep telling people, right now, I want to walk the walk, not talk the talk. Right now, like, give it a year. Like, give mm-hmm. it a year. It's going to be very different in a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only one in the company that really can... that operates within product like on that time scale but then can also be influential at that time scale. And so for me, I have to be very mindful about not getting too drawn down into the day-to-day because there's always day-to-day things that happen. What I have to do is always keep an eye towards looking out and across the organization and trying to see around corners. And if I see that we're going to be going and committing to market a whole new product line, then I have to think through like how and when is the product team going to be ready to go work on that and go deliver it? And mm-hmm. how do I see around corners when I see, hey, you know what? I don't know if we're doing the best job equipping our client-facing teams with all the information they have. And you know, am I the one writing the docs? No. Am I the one training people? No. But what I see is it shows up in, you know, maybe we're not as strong from a growth perspective in some of our numbers because we, you know, the product team hasn't equipped growth. And so it's me partnering very deeply with sales and very deeply with marketing to figure out like where, where do we step on the gas? Where do we step on the brake? You know, where's, where's my team have an opportunity to go influence and and drive forward? Um, Where are we not getting the right feedback loops? How do we hear like what's coming back from clients and what's coming back from shoppers and vice versa? Um, and so I, I think about it, it's just my time scale is very different. And the, mm. the, um, my level, like my need, like in my role, I need to be patient and need to kind of orient towards those longer time scales and just be mindful, you know, just, just recognize and be buoyant and, and help the team weather kind of the bumps that come along day to day, month to month. And that to me is then where the, relationship, my relationship with my executive team is really, really important because we support mm-hmm. each other through those types of things because everybody everybody has that. But ultimately, it's going to be us if we're, um, if we're not aligned. Like if sales isn't aligned with product, like how the heck are you going to have a chance to get ahead? Mm-hmm. Like if marketing's mm-hmm. not aligned with product, how the heck are you going to have a chance to get ahead if engineering isn't? You know, so truly in these product-led companies, product, being product-led doesn't mean that product management dictates being product-led means we all are infused with this idea that we have products that are, we're selling that provide value and that we're all aligned behind that. And so if we're, not, if we're not aligned at an executive level, then there's no chance that the rest of the company is going to get it. You mm-hmm. know? So it, it's mm-hmm. pretty important to make sure that we're, we're operating from the same playbook. How, how do you know, you know that word alignment, I agree with you, it is essential and it is... It's a, you know, it really is a deal breaker for everybody. My question is, how do you know you really have it? Well, now that's just existential. I don't know. How do you, how do you know? How do you know if you're happy? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> you just know. So, so maybe it's one of those, like, if you're yeah, asking you a question, know. that's your answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Um, 
Gosh, I, I, I actually, I think probably a better question here is you have to assume that you don't, mm. you know, or you have to assume that you're not getting it right somewhere. Um, and that's, that's what I keep telling my team. I'm like, yeah, uh, sorry, this is a aside, a little bit of an anecdote, but you know, we're just getting a road, a, a strong road mapping process going. Yeah. I put out a roadmap at the beginning of Q1 and I was like, y'all, this, this roadmap stinks. It's not the best, but it's a roadmap. It's a starting point. And that's what we're going to build from. And I took absolutely 100% accountability. It was mine. And I'm like, this is not my best work, but it is a starting point and it's what we're going to work from. And so we went through the process again, Q2. It's a little bit better. I already have ideas in terms of Q3. Like we're going to do even better. Like we need more storytelling. We need more link backs. It's too noisy, blah, 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 blah. doesn't matter. But ultimately like process is a is an iterative process just as much as product is and so mm. when i think about like whether or not we're aligned as an executive team i i 100 subscribe to we have annual goals and we have quarterly goals and we have to do the true ups and we have to have the dialogue and there is no one point in time where everybody's always aligned ever mm. or if you are like you have no idea but w- what it means is that you're committing to the process and you're committing to the communication there. You're always coming mm. back to truing up. This is my understanding. Is this your understanding? Is this my, you know, mm-hmm. this is what we're doing. Is that what you're doing? And it's never like, here's a fixed roadmap. We never, we don't have to touch it again. It's, it's a living, breathing function. And or, organizations are made up of humans. Humans are fallible. Humans forget humans, you know, miss things, et cetera. And so you have to, you have to kind of accept a, a degree of, um, of sway and you have to accept that there's probably a little bit of like where it's not aligned. But then if you just commit to truing up and commit to like, I, I love those type scales. I have no problem with like annual and quarterly. I think they're perfect. They seem mm-hmm. to be right. Um, and then there's, there's all the mechanisms, right? There's all like quarterly goals and OKRs and like tracking and metrics. And there's, there's a ton of different frameworks that you can go follow and, and get them, you know, get those conversations going. But it, I think it's a matter of just, just, committing to it and doing it. Um, so that's a, that's a wishy-washy answer, probably high level specifically. If I think about how, like, what does it feel like if it, if it's not aligned? Um, I mean, there's lagging indicators in revenue very much, you know, mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. that to me is where like leading indicators, how do I know? Um, how do I know if we're, we're pitching the right thing or selling the right thing or, you know, bringing the right thing to market. And that's where you have to look at engagement numbers. You have to look at feedback. You have to look at qualitative and quantitative information and just see. Um, I'm also working on trying to get myself out in market quite a bit. You know, I was just on the phone with a client earlier today and I was like, here's some slides. They're ugly. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Here's a whimsical <laughs> and it's got some data structures on it. If you're okay with it, we're just going to go through it and you're going to recognize that it's ugly, but you know, here's the communication and she's fantastic. She's like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and so I think it's a matter of not being so precious about the feedback and it's a matter of like, you just have to get yourself out there and you have to do the work and you have to like be willing to get beat up left and right. And then you've got to see what the outcomes are of that. Like, are you, are you getting the conversations? Are people re-upping? Are they engaging with you? Are they using you? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Does that, does that I, give I an like answer? A, no, it does in, in, a, in a different mm-hmm. way than I expected, which I really appreciate actually, because what, what it sounds like you're pointing to is 
for some reason, the, the, the metaphor coming to mind, it's like entropy, right? It's just like there's entropy in these organizations. Things are always going towards chaos unless we add more energy. And so I think the real yeah. reframe that I'm appreciating in, in what you were saying there is we, people often talk about alignment. I'm using air quotes here as it's like a, it's like a, a point in time. It's a destination, right? Like we are aligned. Yay. It's this outcome. But really what it is, is it's a never ending process of continually realigning and reducing that sort of that entropy, that chaos. Um, and you just like, that's what you're actually signing up for. Uh, in the same way you like, if you're in a long-term relationship, you sign up to keep like repairing and getting, you know, reconnecting and, and evolving. It's like, it's never done. Uh, so that's, that's yeah, actually what it yeah. sounds like to me, which seems very, uh, realistic mm-hmm. and I think yeah. probably a better way. You to just said it a lot it. better than I did. Thank Yeah. Thank you. You <laughs> know, one, one other way, one other way, gosh, I've got a couple podcasts that are coming to mind. I'm going to try to remember them and I can reference uh-huh. them better. Sure. But, um, one other way that I, I also think about it, like, um, my last company that I worked for, I, I headed up growth. So mm-hmm. I had a really fantastic, um, sidebar part of my career where before this, and I love product. I'm a product person through and through. Like I just, I know it, I'm committed to it. And I had a really, really cool opportunity to run growth for a super cool firm in Chicago, based out of Chicago. They're actually nationwide, but um, that does product consulting, uh, product innovation consulting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the idea of like, you know, the cold, not the cold start, but like zero to one, like how do you, how do you take an idea you know, from concept to reality. So sure. the company is fantastic. I got to run sales, account management, marketing, and I had never done that before. Um, and but we were selling to me, you know, selling to product people. And so the idea is like I know the pain point on the other side. And what I got to learn was, you know, I think of it, it it's just ratios. It's just ratios. Mm. It's just numbers. Mm. It's all mm-hmm. about having you know, with, with sales and with marketing, it's MQLs to SQLs and you just got to figure out your ratios and then you got to keep trying and tweaking and hopefully making it a little more efficient, but there's, there's no way around it. There's no magic. Mm -hmm. You got to make your calls. Um, and so I just products, no different. And then exec team work is no different. Like you've got to, you got to make the calls. You've got to have the conversation. I got to be in dialogue with my salesperson, my marketing person, my, my, um, CTO, like my tech person, all the time. And we've always got to be having those combos and re-upping. And then I got to be looking at like, okay, what are the outcomes? What's happening? What's happening on the other side? And are we getting things delivered? Are we getting things to market? Is it resonating? Are we getting the right communication? And then, you know, the more successful you are, that just the more the playing field gets bigger. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. so it's not Mm -hmm. like the sooner you can learn the rigor and just the commitment. And again, the buoyancy, like this this shit's hard. You know, sales is hard. You get more no's than yeses. Gosh, I love this word. I'm glad that you you asked that. Um, It's hard. The the, the fact that like I think about product as... um, we are we are inventing things. We're doing things that have never existed before, right? Like that that's the crux of this this role is yeah. where again, like I said at the beginning, it's the intersection of strategy and execution. And we sit at that intersection. And it takes some real fortitude to be able to stand up day in and day out and be like, we're gonna go do this thing that's never been done before. And it's probably gonna work because we did some of these things over here, but I'm pretty sure that we've missed a lot of stuff. And so we're, <laughs> we're also kind of hoping and wishing and praying that it's going to also work on the other side. And so like, I think about just being able to, to just keep trying and keep thinking through like, what are the angles I'm missing? What, what is the stuff like that didn't work? Why did it work? Mm-hmm. Taking your ego out of it 
and just continually showing up from a from a place of creativity and commitment and that to me it's there are there are rough days there are hard like mm, where things yeah. you put out there and it's like that just tanked like that did not work and i just asked a team of 40 to go follow me into this battle and we lost mm-hmm. like that's not <laughs> good um but you know that's the job that's our job and so for me the buoyancy matters because it it is not easy it is not clear and especially from a product leadership perspective you're the one leading the charge and if you get beaten down by the waves if you get beaten down by the wind if you get beaten down you know we're social creatures human humans read humans and if you're the one that people are looking to to say yeah this is good this is the thing we're going to go do and then you show up and you don't have that and you're missing it they're going to feel it and they're going to respond and you know the 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 sense the 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 power and the mobilization of teams and the excitement of what we get to do as product people it, it starts to dissolve and so i just think buoyancy is one of you know you can use the word resiliency but i like the idea of bobbing <laughs> you know every now and then you get, yeah, you get yeah. pulled under the water but you pop back up you know and like that idea like resiliency as a tree i think is good but like buoyancy is a much more fun metaphor for me no i like that it, it also opens up all kinds of fun surfing metaphors like you got to ride the waves yeah, and right. let it let it take you and <laughs> i'm just imagining oh, like a little yeah. bobbing floaty thing and i'm like oh that's that's my like my new metaphor now for <laughs> for products so if, if yeah. it's like almost if you attached a, a sailboat but mm-hmm. that's a terrible metaphor. Never mind. Yeah. Um, yeah no. Yours is better. Let's I'll yours. stop you. You know, okay. Thanks. You know, can I make can I make one more comment? Oh, please, yes. Oh my God. You cracked me up. One more comment. I actually think that buoyancy, maybe, maybe it's just like it's more lighthearted. It also mm, kind of yeah. resonates for me, like as a balloon. But oh my God, I try to laugh um so much in my job. And it is it is fun. I mean, we're seeing all this data come out where like humor and work matters, you know, if people, people who have joy in their work do better job, do a better job, you know, et cetera. And I'm like, you know, I don't have to look that hard to know that that feels true. I'm like, do I like my life better when I get to laugh? Do I like my life better when I get to go and be a goofball with my team and people around me? Like, yeah, of course. And like work is too hard. We put too much time to work for it to be serious or for you to be on your back foot or for you to be defensive. And the buoyancy for me, the buoyancy metaphor is, you know, there's above the line, below the line, like that, you know, that leadership mantra as well. But like the buoyancy is, holy crap, I feel like shit. (laughs) I don't feel like showing up today. And okay, I can wrap that up, push it aside and like pop back up and be like, you know what, let's go have fun. Because if I show up and I'm attacking or if I'm angry or if I'm worried or I show that, then the team is going to feel it. You know, people are going to feel it. And who wants to work with somebody like that? And and I, it's not to say that I don't show up as a whole human. Like I have bad days. Everybody has bad days. But like, I do think, again, especially as a leader and especially as a product leader, it's like always orienting to, well, that just happened. <laughs> like, what are we going to do about it? Like, how yeah. are we going to, how are we going to deal with this? And like being able to just roll up your sleeves and, you know, suppress ego and suppress emotionality and like, look at the problem with like, how do we get creative? How do we get fun? And how do we move forward given the circumstance that we now have more, more information? That's the world I want to work in. You know, that's a human I want to be. And that's the leader I want to be. And I don't know that that's where the fun comes in. I think that's fantastic and, and, and beautiful. Thank you for, for naming that. One of the questions, like I, I still resonate with everything you just said. And I think that's 
a beautifully articulated um, model to aspire to. And that's one that I'm going to take with me from this conversation for sure. I guess my question is, that's something I've grappled with at times in the past is getting like when things feel like it's too heavy. Right. And when speaking for myself in those moments, I have a really hard time getting back to a place of, of buoyancy, of expansiveness, of lightness, whatever, the, whatever word you want to use. How do you actually like, what do you do? How do you do it? Mm-hmm. Um, I walk away. <laughs> I walk hmm. away when I can't control myself. I try to walk away. Um, I, I have probably a good rule for life. <laughs> um, it, I, and I can't say I'm successful. And uh, again, there's no, there's no tricks to this, but I find, I mean, we've all rage, rage slacked, right? <laughs> or rage emails <laughs> or, yes. or any of those things. And un- unfortunately it's like, yeah, I'm human. And when I start to feel me be like, and as I said before, like, I'm like, oop, trigger. Like, you can type it, walk away from it and just walk away. And so in those moments, like I've, I have really, really tried again, not always successful with it, but I really try to catch my feelings. This is where all of the, you know, meditation and mindfulness and stuff really matters when it comes to being Mm -hmm. a leader. And I, I, it it can be a little woo woo, but but again, we amplify like as leaders of organizations, we are watched, our humans are social creatures, they pick up on social cues. So if I am showing up, people are watching me. And if I'm being attacking to my peers, to my leader, to my team, etc., or if I'm not thoughtful about my words, then it is observed. And that is then now something put out in terms of like, is that okay from a culture perspective? And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, it's not. I don't want to work in that. I don't want to put that out there. I've been on my back foot. I don't want to put other people on their back foot. I'm also human and I can rage slack with the best of them. <laughs> and I do not want to do that. <laughs> so, so it is a constant battle for me or a constant work in progress of just like the moment I feel triggered is the moment that I'm like, do not send it. Be mindful of your words, catch your words. And, um, there's a woman I used to work with. Her name was Claire. You know, she works at TXI and she is just fantastic at being very thoughtful and diplomatic about her words without backing mm. down. You know, she always was able to represent multiple sides or is always able to, I shouldn't say you sport was, she is, she's a human. Um, but, but Claire, I have so cheesy. I have, what would Claire do? Like, I really want to actually get one of those cheesy bracelets at some point yeah. where it's like WWCD, yeah. but in my yeah. head, Claire, Claire is the person that I aspire to be and I want, it's like, what would Claire do? You know? So that is like one of the moments where in the moment, in the rage moment, I try to just catch and be like, what would Claire do? Okay. Claire would not do this. <laughs> Whatever I'm about to do, Claire would not do that. Yep, and yep. then the second thing that, that I do, my second personal mantra is just, what if, what if it works out? Hmm. Like imagine that space. Like, and I try to really force myself to be like, is it really that bad? Is it really that, um, you know, is it, is it just crash and burn? Like everything is on, on fire. Terrible. No. Like, and so am I reacting in the moment and is my reaction going to make this better or worse? Oh, it's probably going to make it worse. Probably going to put up walls. People aren't going to want to talk to me and I, I don't want that. So, mm-hmm. and imagine a world where it does work out. Imagine a world where this human on the other side is just doing the best they can. And it, it, there's a lot of internal dialogue. <laughs> Nobody needs to be sure. inside this head, yeah. but you know, like it, it is, it is the more, gosh, the more we can learn these lessons as humans. I, I think of leadership as stewardship. Like yep. I am, 
I am directing the work of hundreds of people right now. And it's not directly, they don't report to me, but I'm impacting their lives and I'm creating their careers and I'm giving them opportunities to go like put on their LinkedIn and be proud to their parents and like Mm -hmm. go claim to their friends like, oh my gosh, I got to do this thing. And then this is a point in time where they get to go do that. And oh, in a few years, they're going to reference that and be like, I got to do this. And now I get to go do a bigger thing and I get a better job and I get more money and I get more responsibility because I got to do these things. Totally. And that, that, is, that is a huge amount of responsibility that people give me. Like they gift this to me. They choose to work at this team, on this team, at this company. And so it's, you're not working for me. I'm working for you. You know, like I'm creating these opportunities and I can't do my job without you. So like that, that is again, like, as a leader, I try to look across timelines, across timeframes, across conversations and like operate at that level and, and then catch the dialogue, catch the moment um, before you react too hard in it. I think that's terrific. Thank, I'm so glad you, you spoke to that. So thank you. I, you know where I want to go with this is I think you've opened up something really beautiful here around. It's what I'm recently taking to calling the rest of the iceberg kind of going with that like iceberg <laughs> metaphor that everybody knows yeah. of like there's all the stuff yeah. you see above the waterline oh, and yeah. there's everything below the waterline and mm-hmm. more and more mm-hmm. I'm convinced that the real conversation that needs to be happening amongst product leaders and in product leadership and on podcasts like this is about what's below the waterline like the rest of the iceberg and you know yeah it gets woo woo it gets fuzzy it gets into all kinds of weird territories but like that's where the real stuff is from everything I can tell and and based on everything I'm seeing and people I talk to so I, I just a so appreciate you opening that up I'd love to kind of from that lens talk a little bit about the 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 messy multi-dimensional process of of scaling right because your stylistics is in growth stage right now and I, I I we were speaking about this before I think a lot of folks, there's so much content out there and that's great. And, but so much of it is really, it's almost bimodal, right? There's a ton that's in the super early stage, like zero to one, find product market fit. there, And that's great. We need that. And then there's a ton that's really more applicable to much later stage or enterprise or something like that. But there's a bit of a gap in the middle here, which is where I'm especially interested right now. So I'd love to hear your perspective and just kind of like how you're, how this is showing up in reality and how you're living it. What are the realities of going through this sort of time in a company's life, particularly from this more, um, you know, the, the harder stuff, the stuff you can't copy and paste uh, is, is how I like to say it. <laughs> the stuff you can't ask chat GPT about. Exactly. And have it give like, you an I answer. <laughs> I can't get a template from Lenny's podcast for, or what, you know, or whatever. And those are great. I love those things. But, you know, it's all the stuff you can't yeah. get a template for. Yeah. Right. Right. I keep asking chat GPT about what my roadmap should be and I keep not getting great answers. So I, I realize, like I'm, I, I suck as a prompt engineer. It's like, but MJ, my knowledge ends at September, 2021. <laughs> like, well, what, what good are Damn you it. to me? Chat GPT. Like, what, are you, what have you done for me lately? You're really not delivering. Seriously. I need, G, um, I need GPT-4. Well, I need GPT-400. Um, yeah. Anyways, I, back to you. I'm sorry. Back to me. Back to me. Back to us. Back to Stylitics. So, back so to this. just quick. Yeah. Stylitics. Stylitics is a, this, this really cool phase of, um, of growth. So as we were talking about, like we initial product market fit, we operate in the styling world for retailers, for online retailers. So we style outfits at scale for the world's biggest retailers. So we have Walmart and Macy's and Nike and 
J. Crew and Crate Barrel and Restoration, you know. Lots of brands you've heard of. <laughs> lots of, you know, you might have heard a couple of them. So just fantastic brands. Oh my gosh, fantastic brands. And like, they're doing really, really cool stuff. And oh, by the way, if you buy a product for them, let's say a sweater, and you're like, well, I don't, how would I wear this sweater? Like what pants, jacket, shoe might I wear with that? Oh, well, we can answer that question for you. Hmm. The reason why it's super cool is before us, people have to do it manually. Like how do you how do you assemble an outfit? And so for these retailers, it's like, well, I have an image of how our clothing, like think J. Crew, like how our clothing should work this style or work this season. Um, but then now I have to manually manually to to help create that inspiration uh, mm -hmm. and that sense of discovery on shoppers on the website, we've been able to build it at scale. You know, so that's the super cool. We have, I want to say about 40, 40 stylists or so, but we're doing a million outfits a month plus. Mm. And that's wow. amazing. That scale of like the human, like the true AI ML that we have going on here is is bananas. And then teaser, I'll come on in a few months and we can talk about our, our next level roadmap, Ooh, like where we're right, going. But you know, there's there's quite a bit of machinery that we're wiring up right now and um we're gonna continue to build out. So like we're we're truly like a tech a retail tech company with like a lot of a lot of data science under the hood. Um and that's the only way like in this world it's the only way we can we can go accomplish like doing this at scale. And I think about it as like retailer style at scale. How would you even answer that? Like, where do you even start, right? Like style feels so amorphous, um, but there's actually quite a bit of heuristics behind, behind, you know, under the hood. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think about retailer style at scale and what we're also thinking about and building out now is um, shopper style at scale. So like, what's your own personal style and what do you want that to be? And how do you want that um, to be represented? And how do you find that online? Um, I look at the world at... Um, like where we are from an e-commerce perspective right now. And it, we're, we've like locked up transactional commerce, right? No problem. Shopify, great. Magento, great. Demandware, great. You know, sales, Salesforce, e-commerce cloud, like great. Like I can have a product inventory account, no problem. I can price things, I can buy things, I can transact. But it has only gotten worse for shoppers. <laughs> it's only gotten worse for you and me mm. in terms of discovery. And like, where am I getting inspired nowadays? It's not on retailer sites. It's on TikTok and it's on Instagram. And, you know, people are shopping. I'm sorry. They're, they're indicating with their eyes. They're voting with their eyes um, and like their mind share. So anyway, sorry, quick blurb on Stylitics. So that, that's kind of the context. That's the context in which we work. Beautiful. Thank you for the context. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. A plug to this company that it's just really just, I, th I think so highly of, and I feel very honored to work for them. You know, we were chatting before we hit record about there, there's this whole new game that happens once you get product market fit. Once you, you know, it's almost like there every startup is laser focused on getting product market fit, getting to some place of you know default alive, and then it's almost like you just can't see beyond that. But then what the, what happens is once you get there, oh wow, guess what? Now you have a shot to actually be in the real game or in like a whole new ball game, mm -hmm. which is where you are now and Stylitics is now. So how is that game different? Like not just from the from the company building, but from product. You know, how is it different in terms of the way you think about what you're building and and how you're building it? I, I'd love to hear you kind of talk about that because I know it's I, I imagine it's feeling like pushing on all fronts at once, which is you know, that's hard in any arena. I mean, that that's exactly it. <laughs> that's exactly it. So, so initial product market fit. Great. Um, our value proposition is fantastic and we're, we're continuing to expand. Um, so we have a pretty strong foothold and I'll circle back to your, to the answer specifically in your question, but I want to give some reference points. So we, um, 
we've done fantastic in the US and we're expanding internationally. So mm-hmm. we have uh, we now have a, a team in the UK and we're starting to make some real great progress in Europe. So you might imagine kind of US into Europe, like that's a really cool way to expand, um, a really big opportunity. Uh, a second way that we're expanding is, um, you know, when I think about verticals, so we have, we got our start in apparel. Uh, we've moved into home and home goods. And, you know, one might think like, oh, well, how do you might bundle these things? It's not so different. But in the world for apparel, you know, I might buy five jeans and send four back, but I'm not going to buy five sofas and send four mm-hmm. back. So the, the, the use occasion and the thought process that shoppers go through is a little bit different. Uh, we have our eye on additional verticals, and then we have a handful of clients that, um, big clients, like I said, you know, Macy's and Kohl's and Walmart that are all multi-category, uh, multi-vertical. And so there's there's very much an interest in like, well, how do you actually create discovery cross-category lines, et cetera? So we're, we're moving internationally, we're moving cross-category, which is super cool. And then, you know, for me, the way that we're thinking about, uh, not thinking, but the way we're executing on expanding is very much like, we've we've got retailer style at scale like we're doing really great job there how do we think about the shopper and how do we do shopper style at scale and the word personalization has been overused for as long as i've been working you know so i it's been a part of my career for years and years and years uh we have our own take you know on our own perspective but i i do really think like this degradation of the internet and like how hard it is to navigate it's why we're seeing things like chat GPT or 3D commerce or AR, VR, et cetera. It's just like, there's a, there's a world in which we can discover things in human form, in real form, like in the store, but that doesn't translate directly to online when you have the volume upon volume upon volume of, of product and experience that you can click through. So I think we're trying to solve for that. We're trying to solve for like we as an industry and we as an, you know, company are trying to solve for that. But anyway, I share those things because, you know, our original core value proposition was retailer in apparel. And that's, that's where we got our start. And so how do we know where to expand? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've won the right. We've earned the right. We hit that next vista. You know, we've gone from one to you know, zero to one, really mm-hmm. focused on this initial value proposition, did a great job. We won the right to now stand at a, at a higher level. And we're now on this vista and we're looking out and we're like, holy cow, <laughs> like there's a, there's a muscle that we probably need to build next on how mm-hmm. do we choose? Because mm-hmm. we didn't have the luxury of choice before we knew what we were doing. And mm-hmm. now we're at this point where it's like, oh crud, like there's a lot of different directions we could go. And what does yeah. that look like yeah. for us as a company? And where do, where do we go? And so that, that to me is the thing that I'm thinking really hard about um, some of the some of the mantras that I've come in, you know, with the team is, you know, right now what matters most. I, I care less about like n- absolutely nailing it with like every product thing that you know goes out the door. What I care more about is building the muscle of just delivery. Like product mm. ships, right? Product mm-hmm. ships, we ship. Like that. Yep. That is the better, faster, more effective. Like the not even more effective. The more that you can ship, the more chances you get. And so product ships. And so that's the muscle like coming into the company. I'm like, you know what? We're, we're now in this multi-product world, multi-category world. We got we to gotta get faster, more effective at shipping. And I'm worried less about making sure that that thing is the maximal value thing that everybody's going to use and be mm-hmm. you know, fantastic. And it's going to be the silver bullet. It's more about how do I actually build the team muscle Hmm. And that that is almost fundamentally more important to me of like this product, sure. this team learns how to ship 
And then what I can do is like, if that, that muzzle gets built or when that muzzle gets built, as it gets built, then I can tweak the nozzles. I can tweak the knobs and um, dial in kind of what are we delivering? Why are we delivering it? And then also, again, it's all iteration, like get the first version out the door and then just learn, you know, be mm-hmm. buoyant, be resilient, get that feedback. So those are the things like when I think about coming into an organization zero to one, you know, you're just trying to get to product market fit. doesn't even matter what your process is. And the team is so small that you can rely a lot on cultural um, norms and just, you know, informal behavior. When you're now working in a company that's 100, 200, 300 people, a lot of those people have been brought on, oh, say the last year or two. Um, you now have a lot of people that just don't have cultural common knowledge or they're coming with a whole bunch of other knowledge of how other companies have worked. Oh, by the way, it's also post-pandemic and half of us, most of us are remote. And so you don't have like the in-office experience of just like, like, let's chit chat. Let's get to know each other. Like, am I crazy? Did that meeting go weird? You know, you just don't have a lot of those those opportunities to have those more informal conversations. And so what I'm thinking hard about now is like the one to two phase of this company is how do we not only deliver pride on process because mm-hmm. the process that I define now and oh, by the way, my team's going to, we're going to add more people over the next few months and years. The process I have now is not going to be relevant probably in six to 12 months, or it's not entirely going to work. We're going to have to iterate on that. And the process in six months and the process in 12 months is going to have to be iterated on too. So process, what you're doing here, again, is perfection's the enemy of good. Like you've got to iterate on product, get product out the door. You've got to iterate on process and then be pretty nimble and hire people that are willing to help look at a blank sheet of paper and figure out like, this is, this is where we go next. This is what we do. And then also not have ego, so much ego tied or so much like... Um, stricture, you know, tightness tied to like, well, I laid out the process, we're following the process because then it becomes right, formal right. function. Um, and so you've got to have people that are, are open with that blank, blank sheet of paper, go figure it out. And then also let it go the moment you see that whatever you just figured out is actually not working anymore either. Uh, and then iterate yeah, from there. Totally. So, and I, I also find like in that, in this world, it's reporting lines are also a little like in, in larger companies, it's like, well, that person doesn't report to me, so I can't really, you know, can't, can't influence. And, you know, within this organization, there are so many people that don't report to me that I'm like, you, you're going to come be in this meeting and you're going to be in this yep. meeting a lot. Yep. Come on over. <laughs> and you over here, I need, I need your help. So come help me. And, and it's, it's, it's not about reporting lines. It's about skill sets and like, what is it going to take to get things out the door with, with minimal, like trying to not disrupt things too much, but ultimately like we still got to ship, like we still got to get things out the door. Totally. So talking about this core idea, right, of product ships and especially being the first CPO of the company and talking about that, that sort of cross-functional, cross-department trust that we were speaking to earlier, right? Mm -hmm. Trust is like the bedrock of this whole thing. Without that, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $200 million. Nothing else is going to happen. Never mind. Uh, Point is like trust matters and that shipping does seem to be like, you know, that's job one to earn trust in product. So my question really quick here is a lot of times we end up shipping things that don't work. And, and that's even with good discovery, right? Even with good discovery, most stuff doesn't work. How do you think about that of, of like managing the ongoing maintenance costs of like, if we're shipping, how big are you thinking about like how big are the things that 
we're biting off that we're going to ship in order to mm-hmm. build the trust. Because you, on the one hand, you've got to build trust, and to do that, you got to ship. But on the other hand, if you ship too much of the wrong thing, you then have to carry that, and you're losing time. Things are getting more sluggish. It's hard to turn the ship, et cetera, et cetera. How do, how do you think about mm-hmm. that tension? Yeah. Um, the way that I think about that tension, there's a couple backstops that I think you have to put in place to to create the expectation, like set the expectation, but then also not set it so tight that if something goes sideways, you, you don't, um, it doesn't just destroy the whole plan. So the way that I am thinking about it, the way we're setting it up at at Stylitics is, um, I don't know that we've come up, like come up with an official term, but we've been thinking about it as like product packaging or product families. And there's a rough equivalent of pain point aligned to those families. And there's lots of different ways to solve some of those pain points. So, you know, I've been calling it core, but like our core functionality today is, you know, core outfitting on an apparel retailer's product details page. You know, that's where we sit. That's like our core product. So great. That's one set of product family. Um, There's a world in which like there's lots of images and lots of outfits all throughout an apparel uh, website. And so why why are those not also being addressed? Like why couldn't I actually shop all of those sites? And so there's a lot of really cool tech out there that might be able to solve for that. And so that's a secondary product family that we're working on. Um, there's another product family that we're working on that goes to you know our merchandisers and helping merchandisers with sell through. Um, and so how do you think about like all the places that we're on a site and like is there a way that we can maybe um, create different bundle packages to help you know merchandisers sell product that might be lagging, but that also still seem to be really popular. So again, those packages don't matter ultimately to this audience, but what I'm trying to do or what we're trying to do is really articulate there's relative pain point associated to each one. And then there's lots of different solves. And so what I'm doing is making a commitment to my sales team. I'm making a commitment to my marketing team and ultimately to the market against these categories and against these pain points. And then what I'm doing is setting up product behind each one of them with alpha, beta and GA. And we're in a little bit, again, in a different world where we're B2B to C. And so there's, there's, you know, in a B2C world, I could launch stuff and then hold, you know, 10% of traffic back and I could do all sorts of A-B testing, blah, blah. In a B2B world, like I could launch different releases specifically to my users and, you know, mm-hmm. SaaS-based solution. But we're in this really super weird world where <laughs> best of worst of both. And, <laughs> um, and, uh, so I build products ultimately for shopper experience, but I have to get it in the hands of the retailers first. Mm-hmm. And so it, a lot of it is just about like, what is the narrative? What is the capability? And then also setting expectations, like creating more walls, not walls, but like definition around what an alpha program is and setting mm-hmm. expectations around it. We came out with something a few months ago. It didn't work. And mm-hmm. we had to go back to our retailers and be like, didn't work. And we're going to learn. We're going to iterate on it. And y'all are part of this alpha program. So I hope you set your expectations appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this world of if if we can do a good job setting expectations around like overall these are the pain points we're going to go solve. And we're going to we're committing to like iterating and solving. Uh, we know not every idea is going to work, and so what we're going to do is protect against the downside and go through alpha beta GA and make sure we know numbers and make sure we know outcomes and like measurable outcomes across the. And then also show up very transparently and very 
you know, really it's being trustworthy, like setting retailer expectations in a very clear way of like, this is what we're hoping to gain. We need your feedback in the process. And if, the moment we know something different, we're going to be honest with you and tell you. And we have really great relationships with our retailers and we work really, really hard at it because that trust matters. And the way that I think about it is like, we're, we're effectively like a innovation arm of lots of these retailers. We can do mm-hmm. things they can't mm-hmm. and we have a, a level of freedom that they don't have. And so it, it's a, it's mutually beneficial, you know, for us to create that really, um, really great relationship. Also, you know, a retailer isn't a retailer isn't a retailer in this world, right? Like if I'm talking about Macy's and J crew, you know, the nature of those two brands are very, very different. You know, Macy's yeah. a retailer, J crew's brand. And so there's different worlds in which like different products fit different companies. And so I have to have an enough of enough of an opinion on the market to be able to say, okay, this type of product seems to be working better. Like here's luxury apparel, which might not fit so well for the Kohl's customer. So how do I think about then the experience for the shopper and then what the retailer is trying to accomplish mm-hmm. and then be more specific about how we might bundle up Alpha Beta GA mm-hmm. and who we're talking to about what and what exactly we're trying to accomplish. So there's a whole world of products that might fit everybody. And then there's a whole world of products that are very probably much more specific, high value for the right client. But, um, you know, just it wires up a little bit differently. But it's hard. Yeah. Like it, there, there's no like it, it's easy for me to say all of these things. But this is where I keep talking about like the gearing, like the gearing of this type of company is just it is difficult um, to keep it all aligned. And again, just kind of always a process that we're going to work at. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the the candor about that because one one of the beliefs I hold is that the ultimate product is actually the company itself. And it's like, why don't we look at our companies and the way we work as companies the same way we look at iterating on our products? Right? We tend to treat we tend to to treat the company and the context and the the sort of the system as a like almost like a fixed entity. But then we assume that that entity will just iterate really rapidly on products and those products will evolve in all these sorts of ways. I'm like, it's all like same thing. It's the exact same thing. Um, so I, I appreciate you actually sort of speaking openly about that. There's a there's an article. Um, I don't know if you can post. I think you, you can post articles after this. I will share it for for our our beautiful listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll link to all this stuff in the uh, the show notes. Go go look up first round Legos. Um, and I can't remember the title of it, but I think you and I might have talked about this article before. Yeah, it's like give away all your Legos or something. Give away all your Le- Legos, especially as the intrepid leader, right? Or the the first <laughs> you're the first out of the boat. Um, it it you are carving the path of like, should we go this direction? Should we go this direction? Should we go this direction? And once we're like, yep, we're going to go this direction, then you've got to build like that's then where scale comes in, right? So just like Alpha Beta GA with Alpha, you're not validating scale. You're you're validating usefulness, you know? You're validating usefulness. Like Beta and GA is when you start to get into using and like optimization and scale. And so that is true for process. That is true for teams. That is true for like, how might we grow and expand and figure out what's the next level of doing things and, oh, that's going to work. Or, oh, by the way, that's not going to work. But you have to have that intrepid first person or first set of people going and trying it. And so this article, the first round article, Legos, is all about like every the, the person who wrote it, every, every six months her job changed. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. this was my job now. And I got it going and then I handed it off. And it was really hard because my identity was the thing I was doing. 
And if I handed it off, then what was my identity? What did mm-hmm. I have? And and actually, that's what I'm having to do. I had to do it. It, it was really interesting. It's what I had to do at this last company that I worked for, where mm-hmm. I was the first salesperson, you know, head of growth that wasn't the CEO. And I was like, okay, well, I got to learn the ropes on the sales thing. So I did the sales job. And then I hired somebody to come help me with sales. And then I was like, okay, great. He's got at least kind of first touch, first call. Like then I got to go figure out marketing. Okay. Let me go figure out marketing. Okay. Let me go do that. And then let me hire a marketer and like hand off most everything to her. And then like, what's the next thing? And what's the next thing? I'm making it sound really linear. We don't always have that luxury. A lot of times these things overlap, but it's, it's this, I, we, we tend to want to get into habitual behavior and be like, this is my day. This is the thing I do. I do all these things. And if we're not actually revisiting and checking our own behavior and seeing where we're operating in the team and figuring out like, is it actually serving the team the way I'm sh- so showing up for the team now? Mm-hmm. Um, because this is what I've always been doing. If it's not serving it, like I got to do something different. And, and ultimately what I'm trying to do is build my way out of a job and go tackle the next job. Totally. Uh, and if I hang on to the job too long, then it does nobody any good, you know? And in and, and, and true fact, like literally talking to a handful of my team today where I'm like, I'm trying, I'm trying to get into the details and I'm, you know, checking my behavior. And I'm like, I think you all should be doing this. And they're like, yes, we think we should. And I'm like, damn it, you're right. I need to get out of that detail. Like that, it serves nobody. Yep. But, you know, we're doers, like product people are doers. We want to go do shit. We want to go do cool shit. So um, I keep, I, I tell my team all the time, like, tell me the back the fuck off. Like, please tell me. And I will not take it, like, I will not take it wrong. Like, mm. you, we have to be a team in this and you've got to check me and make sure like we're kind of in our lanes in terms of where we best serve the team. I love so many things you just said. And there's two things I want to (laughs) underscore specifically, just because they, as you were saying them, I went like, oh, wow, you just connected those dots up in a way I hadn't quite heard before. The first one was the way you were laying out like alpha, beta, GA, and how that's not just a thing we do with products and software. It's also a thing we can do organizationally with process and with Mm -hmm. structure. Um, Yep. I had never heard it put that way. And I love that. And I also, I just want to specifically underscore that for people because that in some ways is exactly like the principle at play behind, behind pilot teams. Like most transformations that are going on out there, everybody says like, start with a pilot team, find a bright spot, land and expand from there. Right. And, and that's true. We've seen enough times. And I was always like going, why is that? And I think it's actually what you just named is that we're going through, we're implicitly going through this alpha beta GA process organizationally validating and demonstrating the usefulness first before we ask for more trust, before we ask for more scale, more optimization, et cetera. So that, that was thing one. And thing two that I wanted to highlight and just underscore that I thought was terrific in there was we, we've, we've danced around um, or touched on this topic of ego a number of times and how, what a through line that is in leadership, right? Like our, we all have egos. Um, and we all have to learn to manage them and deal with that and everything. And I think it's that link to identity that is so key. And, and for the listener, if you want to go deeper on that specifically, go listen to the episode I did with Mike Saloyo uh, from Huddle, which was kind of like all about that. Um, oh, great. Yeah. And specifically, the thing I want to call out is we talked a lot about the ability to have difficult conversations, to have our ideas challenged, to let go of stuff that isn't working, to be buoyant, to go back to your excellent word. And I think it's the identity piece that makes that, that it's like, that's what makes or breaks that a little bit is like, what am I latching my identity onto? If I, if I'm latching my sense of identity onto um, being right, having the right answer, being the person who comes up with the answers, 
something like this, I, I'm not going to be buoyant, at least not very much. Yeah. No, and, and so I just, I just thought that was great. I just wanted to like reflect that back and highlight that. I love it. I love it. I, um, I've been listening to a book on a recommendation recently called Multipliers. And it's all about, mm. you know, as a leader, are you a multiplier? Are you a diminisher? Mm. And it's very much like, what are your own behaviors? How do you show up as a leader that can prevent people from doing their best? And again, in this world, especially in the startup world, or growth world, where limited time, money, resources, et cetera, you don't, you, you don't have extra. So how do you get more out of what you've got? Uh, just highly recommend, like go, go read it. Awesome. Thank you. I was going to say, I made a couple, I, I have a couple pivot points in my career, not pivot points, but like punctuation points in my career. I was at Orbitz for six years. It was my first product job hmm. and I loved it. Like I loved being in travel. It was so much fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, the things that I got to do, like the, the things that people, <laughs> the responsibilities people gave me, I'm like, this is bananas. Like you should never give me this, but this is fantastic. <laughs> um, and I'm very grateful. It was a great, really great opportunity. Like, I'll take it. But really? I know. Right. <laughs> That's exactly it. I'm like, all right, your choice, not mine. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I, I left that job because I was in my head about, I am successful here because I know this company. Am I successful Am I successful kind of outside of that in a more abstract way? Can I be successful anywhere? Um, and I didn't know the answer. And I really wanted to challenge myself and move to a new company to be like, am I as smart as I think I am? Mm -hmm. You know? And, and again, we're all ego led. You know, I have just as much of an ego as the rest of them. But um, I realized over trial and error that I learned a lot. And I really wasn't as good as I thought I was. And I really stunk it up. You know, when I was putting myself into new circumstances, I did not do well. And I, you know, the first time I managed people, I was such a terrible manager. Like it's easy for me to sit here today and be like, yes, you know, you've got to be mindful and you've got to, you know, catch your feelings. And right, things right. Like that. It's because I was an asshole. <laughs> like I was a terrible <laughs> boss. Like I was terrible to people and I was reacting out of fear and I, I was attacking and, and things like that. And I look back and I'm not proud of that behavior. I'm not proud that I did it. Um, and for me, I had to learn through it. I had to go do that. And so, you know, I can, in my mind right now, I had these pictures of these moments in my career. I look back and I'm like, gosh, I don't want to be that person. Mm. I don't like that person. And, and I, I, I really hold deeply in terms of, um, when I have felt that way, you know, and, and when, when I, you know, I want to say people have treated me that way. Um, I, I don't, want to create that feeling in anybody else. Yeah. And, and again, imagine like if we could all feel love and support and, and kindness in, in our mistakes, in our learnings, in the things as we're growing. And the only way to get better is, is to be willing to be bad. And so like that, that is the thing that I keep kind of holding back in my, or holding up front in my head of like, I'm never going to get better if I'm not willing to be bad at it. And I encounter new things every day in my career, every, every day in what I do. And I'm going to suck at it. I'm going to be honest about it. And I think I'm now off track, but you know, that's it's okay. a little bit my mantra. No, I, I really like that because it's also your, what I actually hear in that is you're sharing how you actually maintain a growth mindset and how you view things, yeah. right? Like that, yeah. which is, you know, if, you, if we think about our role as leaders, as stewards, going back to that word you used earlier, which I love, is great word. how are we stewarding this environment? What is in this mm -hmm. environment? What are we modeling? What are we rewarding? What are we punishing? Yeah. You know, one of the one of the questions I like to ask um, organizations when I when I'm getting to know them is, you know, cult. One way you could define culture is the blend of what is rewarded, 
punished and tolerated. And I ask, like, what's that look like here? Mm, I've heard that. I love that. And Mm -hmm. the implicit answer to that is very different when the leader Mm -hmm. is modeling and looking at things from the lens you just offered as opposed to something a little different. Yeah, 100%. And it's it's so much that what we're doing requires psychological safety because we're inventing and, and ultimately innovation, right? Like innovation is invention plus commercialization. But ultimately, like what we're doing, it's never been built before. And that requires a certain level of like, you have to be a little bit ego ridden to like put yourself out there and be like, this is the thing, follow me people. Um, But you also have to have a high level of psychological safety that if you take a risk and stick your neck out, it's not going to get cut off. Mm -hmm. And I think about it as, as a leader, I am, you know, always calibrating. Like I'm always like surveying, like what are, what's going on at the edges? What's happening? What are the, what are the fires that are burning? What are the things that are boiling here and there boiling up? And if I feel like I am not, if I have created a toxic environment where people are scared to put their neck out, they are not going to give me information. They're not going to share with me their feelings. And if I don't get that information, then I have less information. Uh, If they don't share with me their feelings, then I have less information on which to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And we are, again, I go back to organizations and companies are made up of humans. And so where we fail, it's like human error, like most flights, right? Like most planes go down, not because of equipment failure, but because of human failure. Most companies are not successful because the idea is wrong. It's because the people, you know, it's like somehow there's something that's gone wrong with the structure. So it's like strategy than structure. You got to get the structure part right. And so for me, creating a sense of psychological safety is a way of creating information and knowledge within the organization to where people feel free to take risks. They know that the downside, we, we will minimize the downside. We win as a team, we lose as a team and um, we will work through it and we're going to learn from it. We're going to take new bets in the future. There's always, there's always bets that, you know, you probably shouldn't take, but, but generally that, that should be the place in which we're operating from. And if we can do that, then like, what couldn't we do? You know, like what, what, what innovation couldn't we go tackle as a team? And like, again, I go back to, that's what I want to do. That's what drives me. I want to go win. I want to win as a team and I want to win laughing all the way. And I just like that, when I, when I think about my career and think about the things that I want to look back at and the things that I want to be proud of, it's, it's not just like, oh, hell yeah, I had an exit and made a gazillion dollars. I mean, that's fantastic. I, what I, I care so much also about the nature of the work and how we got the work done and the amplification of I've had hundreds of people over my career report to me. What are they going and doing? You know, what, wh- mm-hmm. where do they feel enabled and empowered to go do their career and what are they going to impact? And, you know, the better I can show up and the better I can do, I think the more successful they are. And I feel just as proud of that as anything else I've done. I love that. Thank you so much. Well, we're definitely going to have to have you back for a future conversation to go deeper on this and so much more because we didn't even get into like decision velocity and so many fun oh, topics that yeah. we've already geeked out yes, on. Yes, so yes. We're, we're going to have to just tee those up for next time. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, MJ, it has been such a pleasure. Thanks for hanging out today. Oh my God. Anytime. The pleasure is all mine. This is fantastic. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, I'd be so grateful if you could do me a favor and take about 25 seconds to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps me reach way more listeners and it also helps me bring you more great guests. As always, please feel free to reach out to me anytime at connect at makethingsthatmatter.com. And until next time, my friends, leave them better than you found them. See you out there.